Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for the weather that you have given. We thank you, Lord. It just lifts our spirits and and encourages us. But, Lord, we're not here because it's a nice day. Lord, we're here because of what day it is. It's a day in which we remember that you so loved the world that you gave your only begotten Son. And we thank you for such a wonderful salvation. And we pray, Lord, you will help us to rejoice in that this afternoon. Help us to understand something about it. And Lord, we pray that our hearts will be lifted and will be rejoicing. And Lord, that your name will be glorified. Lord, you know what Richard has shared with us about the history of this church, how long it has been here, how long the gospel witness has been here. Lord, we thank you for your faithfulness. Again, thank you, Lord, for your grace. And Father, we pray for the year that lies ahead for this church. Lord, we pray for the preaching of the gospel from this place. And oh, we ask that many may come to know you as their Savior throughout the year ahead. So we commit these things to you. And we commit to you now, Lord, the preaching of your word. We need the help of your Holy Spirit. And we look to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. This uh, week, we just came back last uh, evening. We were in Edinburgh at Faith Mission College because it was our uh, workers' kind of staff meetings whenever we get together. We haven't done that for four years because of COVID. Uh, So that all seemed very kind of new and, and other workers have joined us in that period of time and, uh, and so on. So that was, uh, was good. Pastor John Shearer uh, does a bit of pastoral work within Faith Mission and he came and was preaching to us a couple of times. And I know some of you know John. Uh, so I was telling him I was coming and he was uh, sending greetings and so on. And I know his wife, Jan, has been around here uh, in the past as well. They had a granddaughter got married yesterday. And uh, so they're rejoicing in that. So if you remember John, then greetings from him. Now let's look at this portion of scripture. Acts chapter 2, verse 22 through to 39. If you want to put a title upon it, then twice in this portion of scripture, it mentions about this Jesus. You'll find that in verse 32. This Jesus God has raised up of which we are all witnesses. You'll find it again, verse 36. Therefore let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. And as Richard said at the beginning, uh, this is probably the first sermon preached, certainly the first sermon recorded after the death, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus. In the Bible, uh, first mention is always important if you're trying to understand something. If you can go back to where it's first mentioned in the scriptures, it kind of gives you a foundation or an insight or what people were talking about. So if we're saying, well, what, what, what should the church be preaching? What is the message of the church? If we go back to the first sermon preached after Christ ascended to heaven and the Holy Spirit is poured out, then we get a foundation for what we should be preaching and for the message of the gospel and how Paul went about it. And therefore that brings us to this point. It has been on my my heart to look at this. So very simply we're going to look at it with this thought in mind. This Jesus. 
Now that, that's the message. You can preach that at Christmas, this Jesus. You can preach that at Easter, this Jesus. You can preach that anywhere, this Jesus. And that's exactly what we should be preaching and sharing and talking about. You can talk about God all day long, and we know what we mean about God, and I say that reverently. But as soon as we say God, people have all kinds of notions as to what their God or a God or God is. But when you start talking about Jesus, then that narrows it down. That makes it clear. We're preaching about Jesus, the only Savior of the world. It's the message of Easter. It's the message of the church. It's the message of of the gospel. But now let's just think about this in Acts chapter 2. And please don't be offended if I take my coat off it. Sort of. Well, it may help me. It'll not help you. But anyway, that's, that's just the way life is. All right. Now, let's, let's just remember this. That the people that, preach, uh, that, that Peter is preaching to have just lived through these events. This is only 50 days since Jesus was crucified. Something that happened two months back and you lived through it, you would remember. And if Peter's standing up to preach to people who have lived through this, they remember. And they know if Peter's making this up or exaggerating or adding to or leaving bits out, they were there. It's fresh in their mind. And Peter stands up to preach to people about something you could say they lived through and they knew about. Oh, they didn't have a right understanding about it, but they knew the events and what, what took place. Very, very fresh in their minds. And we just want to pick this up. I'll not fill in all the detail. You know Acts chapter 2, the pouring out of the Holy Spirit, the fulfillment of the prophecy of Joel, and, and so on. And Peter's the one that stands up with the 11 to preach. And if you go to verse 22, here's what Peter says. First, my first point is this, that Jesus lived a perfect life. So he stands up to preach in front of the people and he says, Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested by God to you by miracles, wonders and signs, which God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves knew. Men of Israel, hear these words. Now you know about this, Jesus. And here Peter clearly identifies who he's speaking about. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth. This Jesus. That's the one I'm talking about. And when I was preparing on this and looking at that, and thinking, well, why, do, why does Peter sort of clearly identify who Jesus is? And then I began to kind of think, well, is that mentioned anywhere else in the scriptures, Jesus of Nazareth? And while you'll discover that it is. So let me highlight one or two points to you. Right at the very beginning of Jesus' earthly ministry, you'll find it, you don't have to look this up, but John chapter 1 verse 45. Philip finds Nathanael and he says to him, we have found him whom Moses and the prophets did write about. 
the Messiah. And he says to him, it's Jesus of Nazareth. And there he clearly identifies who the Messiah is. Mark chapter 1 verse 24. Jesus goes into the synagogue. And there's a man in the synagogue with an unclean spirit. And the unclean evil spirit speaks. And he says. What have we to do with you? And how does the unclean spirit identify? Jesus of Nazareth. So the unclean spirits know who he is. Mark chapter 10, you've got blind Bartimaeus as Jesus has set us his face to go to Jerusalem. And he's traveling out of Jericho. And blind Bartimaeus is begging at the side of the road and he hears the commotion. And somebody he says, what's this about? And somebody says, it's Jesus of Nazareth. The moment that he hears that, he shouts, son of David, have mercy on me. Blind Bartimaeus knew who Jesus of Nazareth was. He said, son of David. He cries out to him. Come to me. (laughs) And there's more. When they went to arrest Jesus in the garden. And they sent the whole crowd and they come out. And Jesus steps forth and he says, who are you looking for? The crowd says, the soldiers say. Jesus of Nazareth. And Jesus said, I am he. And they fall back. But they come looking for Jesus of Nazareth. Whenever Jesus is crucified on the cross and Pilate writes on the cross, what does he write? John 19, 19. He writes, Jesus of Nazareth. The king of the Jews. Whenever the ladies look into the tomb. You can read about that Mark chapter 16. Whenever they look into the tomb after the resurrection of Jesus. And the angels are in there. What do they say? Do not be afraid. You seek Jesus of Nazareth. He's not here. He's risen. Friends, the angels know him as Jesus of Nazareth. The demons know him as Jesus of Nazareth. When Paul's riding to Damascus and he sees a light beyond the brightness of the noonday sun and he falls from the beast, he's riding. And he says, Lord, who are you? Jesus says, I am. Jesus of Nazareth, whom you persecute. Jesus identifies himself even with that title. He's clearly identified. And Peter stands up after Pentecost to preach to a crowd of people who lived through it. And he says, men of Israel, listen to what I'm saying. Jesus of Nazareth. And he clearly identified him to the people without doubt. There was other people called Jesus. But he's speaking of Jesus of Nazareth. Whom they knew about. 
Then he's humanly classified. A man. He doesn't say you know about Jesus of Nazareth. Oh he was a God. Or a superhuman. Or a superhero. No he says Jesus of Nazareth. A man. Fully human. The humanity. The human side of it. Yes a perfect man. And we will come to that in a moment or two. And he says not only is it. Jesus of Nazareth, a man, look at the next words, attested by God to you by miracles and wonders and signs which God did through him in your midst. He's divinely accredited, divinely approved. Remember he's speaking to a crowd of people who know this stuff. And he said, now listen, this had happened in Billinghay. Peter could stand up and say, now, now friends in Billinghay, you know Jesus of Nazareth. You know he was a man. But you know that in your midst, he was approved by God by what happened. By miracles, wonders, signs. You remember that Nicodemus came to Jesus by night and he said, We knew that you were a man come from God. Nobody else could do these things unless God was with him. So the religious leaders knew that. And you say, Well, how was he approved or accredited by God? Well, let's just highlight one or two points. At least three times, God the Father spoke out of heaven and there was a voice. This is my beloved son. At his baptism, the Father speaks. This is my beloved son. On the Mount of Transfiguration, when Peter, James and John are there, Peter speaks and he doesn't really know what to say. Suppose if you don't know what to say, you should stay quiet. But hey, we've all got a habit of speaking. And he speaks. Oh, let's make three booths. You know, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah. And while he's still sort of going on with this, there's a voice from heaven says, Now this is my beloved son. Listen to him. And also on Palm Sunday which we've just celebrated, you know. John 12, 28 on Palm Sunday. There's a voice that speaks. Our friends, Jesus of Nazareth, a man approved by God by signs, wonders, and miracles. The angels appear at his birth. And the shepherds and so on know about it. The angels appear at his tomb. Mary and so on know about it. And verse 22 following says, As you yourselves also know. 
It's publicly acknowledged. The public knew about Jesus. All this stuff happened amongst you. You know I'm not making this up. Again, read through the Gospels. Friends, we know that whole cities were moved. Multitudes were following. 5,000 people are fed at one point. 4,000 people are fed at another point. People are raised from the dead And probably the most publicly known was that of Lazarus. And they wanted to get rid of him. The whole city of Jerusalem has just been moved. As Jesus has ridden into Jerusalem on the donkey fulfilling Zechariah's prophecy. And the crowds are shouting Hosanna to the King of David. There could be one or two million people there. Peter says, men of Israel, Jesus of Nazareth, a man approved to you by God that you very well know. This man, this perfect man, this only ever perfect man, this only ever, only one ever to be sent by God, this man, Campbell Morgan said about him, this God-centered, self-emptying, man-serving, perfect one. Men of Israel, you know about him. Well, him, this Jesus. Look what it says. Him, this man, being delivered by the determined purpose and foreknowledge of God. You have taken by lawless hands, have crucified, and put to death. If you're talking about straightforward preaching, this with Peter at Pentecost is pretty straightforward. Friends, you know about all this, but you put him to death. But it was a planned death, as verse 23 says. It was no accident. It was no plan gone wrong. It was no sort of, you know, the crowd have taken over and just sort of pushed this along. No, it was being determined and delivered by the purpose of God and the foreknowledge of God. God planned it. Peter said in 1 Peter he indeed was foreordained. It was foreordained before the foundation of the world. Or as it says in Revelation, the lamb slain before the foundation of the world. You can read in the Bible, Isaiah 53, it was prophesied 750 years before it ever took place. It was prophesied before crucifixion was invented. It wasn't just a spur of the moment accident that Jesus was crucified. Now, Peter sort of fills in a little bit of detail there for them. Yes, you know, you have taken him by lawless hands and crucified him. The Jews and the Romans came together. They had their schemes. They had their mock trials. They had their false accusers. And they came along. 
And they put him to death. Just read it in the Gospels. They had their private behind the scenes meetings. They had their political maneuverings. You know, Pilate and Herod and one sends them off to the other. You had the Jewish leaders and their scheming. And yes, it was perpetuated by the Jews through the Romans. The Jews didn't want to do it. They didn't want to crucify him at Passover. But they manipulated it and they got the Romans to do it. To put him to death. And they crucified him. On what we celebrate today as Good Friday. When we remember that Jesus was put to death. John MacArthur wrote a book about this and he called it The Murder of Jesus. And the first time that I saw the title on the book, I thought, oh, do I really like that title? The Murder of Jesus. But if you look at it humanly speaking, they murdered him, put him to death falsely. A man that was accredited to them by God. They got rid of him. And even Pilate knew they got rid of him because of jealousy. And they put him to death. Yes, they carried it out. But it was predetermined and planned. In the foreknowledge of God. If you look at verse 24. Whom God raised up having loosed the pains of death because it was not possible that he should be held by it. And God willing if God tarries. We're back in church on Sunday on Easter Sunday. We'll talk and sing and praise and worship God. That his death was not the end. But he was raised. And God raised him in a powerful resurrection. Verse 24. Whom God raised. Verse 32. This Jesus God has raised of which we are all witnesses. Yes they put him in the tomb. Yes they sealed it with a huge stone. Yes they sent the guards to keep watch. But it couldn't keep him. And God raised him. On the third day, which we know was prophesied, and it didn't just happen. And then in the portion of scripture we read, we have this, verse 25 and following, we have this from Psalm 16. And it's King David here writing in the psalm and prophesying in the psalms. And as Peter says, you know, this, this could not be speaking about David himself. Because we know that David was was died and was buried in these tombs here and it's a thousand years ago and it's still here. David's not speaking here about himself. He's speaking prophetically about the one that would come from his family line and from his flesh as it were, the promised Messiah. It's him. His flesh would not see corruption. But he would be raised. 
And I love that little line at the end of verse 24, and it's so easy to miss it, the last half of the verse, really. Now think about this, now think about this a moment. Because it was not possible that he should be held by death. Now think about this for a moment. It's not possible. It's not possible. That's what Peter says. It's not possible. Death couldn't keep him. It's just not possible. That's what it says. Why is it not possible? It says, I foresaw the Lord always before my face. For he's at my right hand that I may not be shaken. Therefore my heart rejoiced and my tongue was glad and so on. What's he saying? Here's what David is saying. That this Messiah that would come had a perfect relationship with the Father. In that he never sinned and that he was always about the Father's business. And he was always in the Father's presence. And there was never anything to separate them. Except for that day on the cross. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why was Jesus forsaken on that cross? Because your sin and my sin was laid upon him. But at no other point was the relationship broken. At no other point was their sin. He was never moved away. He was always there. But it's not like the others, is it? The angels that were first created. The devil that was the pinnacle. The angels sinned. And was cast away from the presence of God. God created the world and put Adam and Eve in the garden and they're created perfect and perfect relationship. But because of temptation from without, they sinned and they're moved away from the presence of God. And God comes in the cool of the day and he says, Adam, where are you? He says, I heard your voice and I was afraid and I hid. Friends, Jesus Christ never sinned. Jesus Christ did not have to hide. Jesus Christ was never moved from his presence. Jesus Christ was never moved from before his face. Jesus Christ was never moved from his right hand or he was never shaken. Friends, the Bible is absolutely clear that this man, Jesus, this perfect man, this man a credit to Israel by signs, wonders, and miracles, this man that they took and crucified and put to death that didn't deserve it, this man lived the perfect life and death couldn't keep him. 1 Corinthians 5 says he was a man who knew no sin. 1 Peter 2 says who did no sin, who committed no sin. 1 John 3 says, in him there was no sin. 
Jesus said in John 10, I have power to lay down my life and I have power to take it again. I've received this from my father because death, he doesn't say there, but because death had nothing on him. Death could not keep him. He's the only one who lived a perfect life and was never moved from the face of God. All the rest of creation and I'm not saying he was created he's God's perfect son death couldn't keep him he was broken the power of death he's taken the sting of death friends if this is not true if this is just rubbish if Jesus was not raised from the dead then the Bible's not worth the paper it's written on. It's a deception. It's rubbish. It's evil. It's manipulative. It's controlling. It's given false hope. It's a lie. But, men of Israel, Hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth lived amongst you. A man. Approved and accredited to you by signs, miracles and wonders. Which he did amongst you. Which you very well know. And you know that the Jews took him and crucified him. And you know that they used the Romans to do it. And you know on the third day he was raised. You know it. Now men of Israel. This man. That God has raised up of which we are all witnesses. Verse 36. Therefore let all the house of Israel know assuredly. That God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. Now, friends, that's got consequences. That's got consequences. This Jesus, who was crucified, and we remember it today on Good Friday, was raised. And has ascended to heaven and he's poured out the Holy Spirit. And God has made this Jesus. Both Lord and Christ. Now this has implications and consequences for us. If this Jesus who was crucified has been raised. And has ascended to heaven. And his sacrifice has been accepted. And he's seated on the throne. And he's there to rule and to judge and to reign. This Jesus is sovereign. This Jesus is saviour. This Jesus is judge. Verse 34 says there. The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool.
Friends, this Jesus, this Jesus of Nazareth is going to come again. Look what Paul said, Acts 4, and with this I'm, I'm finished. Acts 4, 10, 11, 12. Again, he's, Peter's preaching again. He says, let it be known to you all and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man stands healed. It's the man there at the temple. This is the stone which the builders rejected. The builders there were the leaders of Israel. They didn't want him. Which has become the chief cornerstone. Friends, know this. There is therefore no salvation in any other. For there's no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Friends, let's park here a moment. There's no other name on earth. Never has been, never will be. Except Jesus of Nazareth. God's son come in the flesh, lived as a man. Approved and accredited by God. But we put him to death. But God raised him up. He sits in the throne. And he's sovereign. And he's saviour. And he's judge. And he's coming. And you and I will have to give an account of ourselves. To him. Now. What's your relationship with Jesus? Do you know Jesus as your saviour? There's a point, a moment, a day, a night, a place. Where you come to an understanding and said. I'm a sinner and I need this Jesus as my saviour. And you trusted him for yourself. It's not just knowing about it. Or about him. But there's a commitment, a trust. An acceptance, a belief, a coming to it. And saying, Lord, will you please be my saviour? Somehow or other, whatever the circumstances, have you come to that point that Jesus is your saviour? Or have you never come to that point? And you could be sitting there saying, you know what? All you've preached I've heard before. But actually you've never trusted for yourself. If that's the case. Then you're still outside of this salvation. You might know about it in your head. But it's not affecting you. And we've got to come. To the point. The place. The realization. The acknowledging. That this happened 2000 years ago. Many people witnessed it. It was approved by God. We know it's true. But that we need to come to a place and say, all right, Lord. I know there's nobody else. I need you as my savior. Please save me. If you've never come there, you need to. And you can do. And you're invited to, not just by me or Richard or the church. You're invited by the Lord. And he says, whoever comes, I, I won't cast you away. 
I'll accept you. But will we come? Will we come? That's the point. Will we come? That's the point where our human nature refuses. And we say, well, not now. Well, it's not convenient at the moment. Maybe someday. You don't know you'd be here on Sunday. Neither. None of us know. Now's the time, the day of salvation. If you know you should, then you should do it now. And you can do it now. Why not? Let's pray. Father, we thank you that Jesus was not crucified in secret in a corner and nobody knew and that it's some kind of hidden secret. Lord, if that had been the case, then we were never heard and we are lost. But we thank you that Jesus Christ was crucified in public. And it was known. And it's known who he was. What he's done. And how you raised him. From the dead and he's the only saviour. And Lord we thank you that you've seen fit to bring the message of the gospel all down through the ages. Right down to us today. As fresh and appealing as necessary, as powerful as it was on that first day when Peter preached. Well, Father, I ask in Jesus' name, if there be any here today who don't know you, that today, young or old, they'll just come and say, Lord, will you please be my Savior? Please forgive my sin. I recognize, Lord Jesus, you took my sin upon your own body on the tree. And you were separated from your father for me. That my sins could be forgiven. Oh Lord. Oh Lord. If there's anyone bring them to know you today. And for those of us who do Lord. Help us to rejoice that in your mercy. And in your grace you have saved us. And we find ourselves here today to worship. And to thank you. And to praise you. And we do Lord with all our heart. Thank you for such wonderful salvation. Bless us as we sing this song. Continue to speak into our heart. We ask it in Jesus name. Amen.